In today's show, I'm going to be talking Indiana Pacers and their season with the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast, Tony East, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. If you are here watching on YouTube, the show looks a little bit different. So, the uh, get some different graphic packages. It's not a huge change, but just making it look more like some of the other shows on the Locked On Podcast Network on YouTube. So you just see some slight differences. Let me know what you think. Helps the uh, search algorithm. Drop it in the comments below. Do you like the new graphics? Do you know, like the new intro video? Do you, it's it's not a huge difference, but you'll see it as the show goes on. Maybe it's just a slight bit more polish from my rudimentary Photoshop skills. But we're going to be talking Indiana Pacers today. The season preview with Tony East. We're going to do the fantasy preview for them. After this, there's going to be positional tiers for point guards coming out today. You'll have a shooting guards one coming out later in the week. We're going to have uh, plenty of other season preview shows. We're going to have mock drafts next week. Points League mock draft will come next week, the first one of those. So be prepared for that and be on the lookout for an announcement of how you can get in and be a part of that mock draft. But without further ado, even though there's been lots of ado already, let's bring in Tony East. All right, so let's let's bring him in now. The host of the Locked On Pacers podcast, Tony East. He was here with me, and the screen's now disappeared. Where, Tony, where are you? Let's bring him back. Hey, there you go. Yeah, there you're back. Technical difficulties. Tony, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back. Glad to talk Pacers. They've had a very subtle offseason, but still some interesting changes from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, definitely had some uh, some interesting changes, of course. The number one of those being a, uh, a new coach coming in, which we are going to talk about shortly. But let's uh, let's talk you know, how we start all of these shows, and that's by... Looking at uh, or talking to my guest and saying, asking them who is their projected starting five opening night. Tony, let's go. Yeah, I think it's going to be the same as the Pacers ideally would have had their starting five be last year, which would be Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, DeMontis Sabonis, and Miles Turner. The trouble they had last year is Warren only played four games, and in those four games, Oladipo was still their shooting guard, so they've never seen him with LeVert. Uh, so they've never had Warren LeVert. They've barely had LeVert Brogdon. They barely had LeVert Turner. They had so many injuries last year that this starting unit has never fully played together. And even if in combos of three, last year was pretty sparse. But given the team's offseason moves, their hiring of a new coach, or I guess lack of offseason moves and hiring of a new coach who you know, has said some nice things about Sabonis and Turner, it seems like that it, this is the most likely starting five heading into next season. Yeah, for, for a team, again, that was injured so much and had so many guys in and out, there's, there seems to, well, I don't think there really is any debate. This is going to be the starting five. I don't really know what other direction they could go in. I guess they could put Levert as a super sixth man, the way he played in Brooklyn and start Justin Holiday for defensive purposes. But really, I think that they do view Levert as yeah, a key future piece, maybe more so than, than Warren and Brogdon on this squad. So they want to get him with the ball in his hands. But that's something we're going to talk about here as well. But let's move on to the next part of this. And that is, you know, the bench rotation. Most, co- most coaches will run, you know, five-man bench, a 10-man rotation in general. So if you're running a 10-man rotation, who do you, what do you think Rick Carlisle is doing with this squad? 
Man, I, I personally just kind of shrug because there's a couple guys you could argue deserve minutes at the back of this team. When we kind of ran through the Pacers rotation on Locked on Pacers, TJ McConnell, given his contract and play, locked to be in this rotation, and Justin Holiday, given his play, is a lock to be in this rotation. Everybody else, for various reasons, I, I think they'll play some of these guys, but I'm not really sure, right? O'Shea Brissett was fantastic at the end of last season for the Pacers, and he's only 23, so he's likely to grow, and they would like to give him more opportunity. I've also assumed he would be a lock to play. Uh, and then Duarte, they just drafted. He was really solid in Summer League, and Torrey Craig, they just signed. So intuitively, those two guys would make the 10. But one, we've seen Rick Carlisle teams in the past not give a lot of playing time to younger players, and Duarte is older for a rookie. I just mean in terms of experience. And Torrey Craig, you know, who, who knows how they value him since he's kind of duplicative positionally with Justin Holiday and O'Shea Brissett. And they also have Goga Batadze, who... It makes very little sense for their third year big to not play at all. I get that the rest of their roster is what it is, but you know, it's kind of hard because of all those factors to put together a second five that you can confidently say, I expect these five guys most of the time, but the five on the screen in front of me, McConnell, Duarte, Holiday, Craig, and Brissett would be the five that I think are the most likely to comprise of the second unit for the Pacers this year. I think that's probably right. You could make an easy argument that, say, Craig doesn't play every night because, again, his lack of offense might might be an issue. And then you've got Brissett and Holiday who can do the defensive stuff, and they put Badadze in there. We also haven't included in that five-man bench rotation Jeremy Lamb, who was uh, yeah, poor at times last year, coming back from that devastating knee injury. Now reports coming out, Tony, that they might be looking to move move on from him. I don't really think there's any value in, in trying to trade him away. No one really wants Jeremy Lamb at, at this point, given the way that he looked last season with his knee. But he's another name in there. Edmund Sumner was a key part of the rotation last season as well. And it's going to be hard for him to get a look in. So there are many different ways that that rotation can go. And you did mention a good point about Carlisle and hesitancy with younger or less experienced players. So, you know, Sumner could easily get that nod over Duarte in there or, or Jeremy Lamb has that position. So what's the update there on Lamb and that trade report? Yeah, that's it. he's an interesting guy when you look at the rotation because if you just go on merit of play recently, last year, the way the team plays, whatever you want to look at it, Lamb should not be in the rotation at all. And I know you're asking about the trade report and this kind of all ties together, but you know, Jay Michael of the Indy star reports it. And some of this is also just like makes sense. Like he's getting paid 10.5 million to be their 12th best player. Like, of course you're going to try to move that guy, but you know, he also kind of included in his report that they would like to rehab his value to some extent. So it's possible rotationally that at the start of the season, you see them try to sneak some Jeremy Lamb minutes into this team to try to build up his value a little bit more because Last year, he was quite bad, as you mentioned. Uh, he shot well from the floor, but that's about it. His defense was absolutely atrocious, was a worse passer, and self-creator than in years past. So if he can't get back to the level he was pre-injury, he should not play for this team. But they would like to get his value up to the point that they can trade him. Uh, it's going to be hard. They're, they were, they're mostly doing it as, as a salary dump deal anyway. Not a pure salary dump, but trading him for less money. So it's kind of a finicky situation, given that they have a lot of depth, but they'd also like to play him to up his value. So it's going to be interesting to see where he fits into both the rotation and a trade scenario this season. I guess the risk of playing him to rehab his value, so to speak, as he goes out there and looks as shit as he did last year, and then there's no value, and people go, well, okay, well, he's actually officially done now, and he he can't play, and we are you know, full two years removed from that devastating knee injury, and he's you know, traveling along the Rodney Hood pathway where we saw Rodney 
Yeah, really, really struggled last season in Toronto. We'll see if Hood can get any of that value back in Milwaukee this year. But there is that risk of putting him out there and just getting absolutely nothing back because we just see that, that he can't play. So that is going to be interesting to watch. He's not going to have much of a fantasy impact, I would uh, I would suggest. But, Tony, before we get onto that, like Jeremy Lamb's probably sweating about where his next destination is going to be, but I could recommend him Sweatblock because it is one of the strongest clinical antiperspirants that you can get, doctor-created and doctor-recommended. I'm sure Jeremy Lamb has seen it on the Rachel Ray Show when they test it on firefighters and we know they work in a hot environment. What it is, the sweat block wipes. You put it on, wipe your underarms before you go to bed, have a sleep, wake up the next morning, have a wash, go off to work, go off to school, whatever you need to do, and you're covered for up to seven days with sweat block. You might put it on twice a week if you are an exceptionally heavy sweater. You don't want to have to decide your day, like what color shirt am I going to wear? Which one's going to show sweat stains less? Like You don't need that. Put on the sweat block wipe, and now you can do it for 20% off at sweatblock.com by using our promo code LOCKED ON. It's also available at Amazon. It's also available at CVS. But if you can save 20%, why wouldn't you do it? Sweatblock.com, use the promo code LOCKED ON and save that 20%. Also, does this sound familiar? Maybe it sounds familiar to you, Tony. But if you've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another lets you stream your favorite shows, and you watch your sports highlights on your phone, and then you get your login off your mate to get the other good stuff. Like, that's too much stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings live and on-demand favorites together like never before so that you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Tony, I'm not going to ask you about whether your content varies by your package, but let's talk injury uh, injury situations here because we had a few players that didn't play at the end of last season. Miles Turner was out with a toe issue. Is he ready to go? Yeah, it seems like it. He's been working out a lot this summer, including with Rick Carlisle down in Texas, where he's from. Uh, he talked, they had a bunch of summer league interviews. If you watch any summer league games, you know they interview whatever athlete is just randomly sitting available by the game. But uh, Miles Turner, I think, did an interview like three or four of the Pacers' five summer league games where he talked about his injury. And he said he's uh, you know, basically ready to go for next season or will be ready to go for next season again. Has been doing like actual basketball, holding a ball work this summer. Um, so yeah, it seems like he's trending in the right direction to be ready for opening night. Any um, any yoga videos from Miles Turner this offseason? <laughs> no yoga videos, which I want to see because he did an article or a piece a couple seasons ago about he, how he does yoga with wasps. And I really want to see that because it sounds extremely frightening. <laughs> uh, okay, well, the, uh, the, the, the wasp over here, Miles Turner. Now, in terms of Turner, there's always frustration... Uh, with him from a fantasy perspective, an NBA perspective from both sides. Oh, he doesn't do enough of this or why doesn't he play more? Like he played like 29 minutes a game last year. He blocked an absolute shit ton of shots. Is there any indication for how Carlisle may view him? Is he still going to be played in that like semi-starter 29-minute role? Will they bump that up? Will they give him more of a green light to shoot the way that Carlisle did with Porzingis? Was like, if you got the shot out there, like just fire away. Like, is that is that more of an indication or is he still going to be trapped in this 29-minute you know, role where he sort of plays well and then there's frustrations with what he does? Like, I'm still waiting for it all to come together and I feel like it's, he's always been hampered by something. Yeah, you know, the usage probably is what it is if they're going to run out the same team next year. I don't, I don't see Carlisle coming in and just saying, you know, I, I value what you can do with the ball a lot more than other coaches have because he hasn't frankly shown that he deserves a way bigger role. So I don't think the usage will fluctuate too much 
from prior seasons. You know, Sabonis requires the ball to do a lot of what he's good at, as does Warren, as does Lavert, Brogdon a little bit as well. So, you know, I, I don't think his usage can go up a ton. But we have heard Carlisle in his introductory presser and at various times talk about the two-center pairing. That's what everybody always wants to know about with this team. And he kind of talked about using Turner Moore as a lob threat, uh, which is not something he has been at all for the Pacers. Like, every time he sets a screen for the last two seasons, he runs behind the three-point line, which is fine. He's a good shooter for his position. But if you can add in some variability where maybe he's diving and dunking or maybe he's in the post where he showed some refined fadeaways in the last couple seasons, maybe that could be a way that he's more effective on offense or more varied and unpredictable, and that could make him a little more effective on that end. I think Bjorkren gave him more of a green light than other coaches have, so perhaps it's possible that that carries into the Carlisle land as well. And, you know, he was more confident under Bjorkran on offense for sure. Um, but I, I, it's hard to say exactly how Carlisle envisions using the two bigs beyond the thing he said about using Turner Moore as a lob threat that he's been used in the past. What about TJ Warren, who said only played those four games? I don't think he hit a single three in any of those games either. So he wasn't playing particularly well. Then he had that foot stress reaction. He's had injury problems in the past. Um, we're assuming that he's ready to go for opening night. Yeah, he tweeted that he, he like he said, I, I played basketball today. It was fun or something like that. And he was a part of uh, Malcolm Brogdon put this together. The Pacers had a bunch of their starters go out to California or a bunch of their team, not their starters, excuse me, go out to California to play some scrimmages together. TJ Warren was a part of that. So he has played organized five on five basketball with other Pacers. Turner was there as well, but I don't think there's any documented video of him playing in those like there is with Warren. But Warren was playing basketball there. So I'm imagining if he's doing that and he's tweeting about playing that he will also be ready to go by opening night. A lot of people's last memories of TJ Warren is bubble TJ Warren, you know, dropping 50 points. Now, I think people who remember that, they also don't remember that he struggled after the, some of those games. There was a few games where he wasn't quite on, and then at the start of the last season, he wasn't quite on. Do we have, how, is there any worry about how the fit is here now that Levert is there and a new coach with TJ? I'm still, I'm somewhat skeptical of that, well, not somewhat. I know he's not going to replicate what he did in that little you know, four-game stretch in the bubble. But is there any sort of worry? Is he a part of this future? Is he seen as a long-term piece? Like, where where are the Pacers viewing him? I think because he became a good defender in Indiana, which is still not super well-known, but he was a pretty good on-ball defender for this team the healthy season he had here. He's still viewed as a, as a key piece, but it will be interesting to see how he fits in this coming year with Lavert in the fold. You know, he when Oladipo was playing, Right, Oladipo had the ball quite a bit when he was when he was playing alongside Brogdon and Warren. And Warren still got a bunch of touches and was able to get his shots. And you know, because he became a good three point shooter his last season in Phoenix, which carried over to Indiana as well, he could be used kind of off ball and on ball. So I think he'll still get enough touches to be effective and and can be an offensive piece that they really value and they really like having a wing who can play defense and score. So I think he's still a part of this team's plans that they would like to have him. He mentioned that he likes Indiana a lot in his exit interview at the end of last season. So, you know, it might end up being a money thing because this team is is pretty far over the cap. But, you know, Jeremy Lamb's coming off the books at the end of next season. The money could be there. And if there's mutual interest, I'd imagine they would like to have him back, just given what he gives to this team. The last one is the dart, Gogo Badadze, who we hoped we'd see somewhat in Summer League and then had a back problem. Um, seems like he always has... I don't think he's played Summer League at all, has he, across his uh, three seasons? No, he was hurt his first year. Then there was a COVID no summer league. And this year, actually, I think he was trending to play. And then he had a family member pass away. So he went to Europe instead of playing in summer league. So the injury, actually, I don't think was the reason he didn't play any of the games. That's good to know. But as we talked about earlier, we don't even know where Goga is going to fit in this rotation. And they also drafted uh, Isaiah Jackson as a uh, yeah, fourth center. So something's going to have to give with Sabonis, Turner, Badadze, or Jackson at some point. Who would be the most likely to be dealt there? Obviously, it depends on return. Like if they 
traded Miles Turner, they'd be getting a bigger package back if they traded Goga or something smaller. Like, who do you see is most likely to be, say, off this team by the end of the year? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I think the two most likely would be Goga and Turner because uh, Sabonis, you know, a two-time All-Star in a market like Indiana, you really value that guy. And he's been trending upwards every season of his career. Isaiah, they really like. He just had a really nice summer league. So with Goga, you know, he's good. And I think that it's a shame that he can't find minutes on the scene. But, you know, you have a former 18th pick who you can't play at all. You, you, it seems like you try to move him for something that you can use or like a future asset you can can get value out of. And again, given their precarious position to the luxury tax, you know, I, I would not say you salary dump Goga by any means at all. He still has a lot of promise as a young player. But if you can get a future asset that makes more sense for your team and frees up some necessary money this year, you can move on from him. And then with Turner, we've gone over these questions since in 2018, when Sabonis had his coming out party that after that season uh, of can these two fit together, when, which one will they eventually move? Well, now there's only two seasons left on Turner's deal, which is kind of like at that from that point on, his value just kind of goes down as the time remaining on his deal shortens. So it seems like if you're going to move one of the two starting bigs, it would be Turner and his value is about to start going down. So unless Carlisle can really figure something out, it makes sense to move him sooner during the season. So I'd say Goga and Turner both have pretty good cases to be moved at some point during the season. Now, Tony, what's your favorite flavor of Bilt Bar? Uh, peanut butter brownie is delicious, is my favorite for sure. No, it's 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 a definite no for me for peanut butter, but people know my thoughts on that, but that's fine. Because if you like peanut butter and I like cookies and cream, we can get ourselves a, a separate box of those flavors, Tony. We don't have to fight over those because there's just so many different options of Bilt Bar. And not only are these bars delicious, but they're also good for you. 17 to 18 grams of protein, 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of sugar, and 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. And they're always bringing out limited edition flavors. When, when you see them uh, release one of those flavors, you've got to get on it as well. I think at the moment, white chocolate raspberry cheesecake is one that's out there. There's you know, been churro and coconut chunk puffs and whatever. There's lots of different flavors. Go grab them. But... Before you go grab them, make sure you're using our promo code because it's locked 15 and you save 15% off. L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5 at built.com and you save 15% off a box or boxes of Built Bars, the best tasting protein bar ever. So use our promo code LOCK15. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. Football is ready to go. This season, college football has begun. The NFL is ready and uh, their preseason is over. And if you're looking to place bets on football, Bet Online is the place that you need to do it. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL survivor contest open now at Bet Online. Be sure also to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, you get your bet refunded up to $25 for new customers who sign up using the promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports from football, basketball, boxing, or even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait. Get in on the action and check out everything they've got for the 2021 season. BetOnline are your online sportsbook experts. All right, Tony, let's go on to the uh, the next thing we're going to talk about here. And... Uh, Let's talk about Rick Carlisle because he is in as a new coach uh, for the Pacers, replacing Nate Bjorkren. One of the things that Carlisle was famous for, I guess, in Dallas is uh, basically not running any transition at all. So we'll see if that slows down any of the pace that Indiana plays at. But what are you expecting to be a major change stylistically with this team in terms of you know, where the shot profile is, the pace of the game, defensive responsibilities? What, what major thing can Carlisle bring that changes this team? The first one to me is going to be on defense, just 
having a base defense, which sounds super simple from a basketball perspective. But if you watch the Pacers last year and Nate Bjorkren, you know, thinks a lot about basketball and ways he can get an advantage tactically during the game. And at times that was a benefit for this team. But a lot of the times he would try something gimmicky on defense or, you know, he changed the lineup and changed the, the defensive scheme and at the same time. And, and they ran so many defenses throughout every game. And a lot of times those got torched, right? They had some poor defenders last year. They had Jeremy Lamb playing the four a lot, which didn't work for them on defense. I think someone coming in and that someone is Rick Carlisle and just establishing a base defensive scheme that they would run 80 to 90, even 80% of the time would be way more than last year, but 90% of the time would just make things simpler, would make guys know where they're supposed to be and know what they would have to do can improve this team a lot. They were like sixth in defense with, with an almost identical roster two seasons ago because Nate McMillan, I mean, he's an excellent defensive coach, but you know he had a base defense and got these guys to play it. If Rick Carlisle can do that, I think that will help the Pacers a ton. And offensively, you're right, not a lot of play calling, a lot of simpler actions, read and react, and, and really get into something when you get up the floor without the transition, which is, you know, they were number one in pace for, I think, all of April and May last year uh, to close the regular season. So I think that will be their biggest offensive style change is not running it up and walking it up a little bit more and, you know, using that they have a lot of ball handlers who can make decisions to, you know, read and react and get shots for their teammates. They have a lot of good creators, maybe not quite the shooters to give them the necessary space, but enough creators to make that that Dallas style work at least to some degree. Okay, so that question or that answer to that question brings me to this thing. We talk about your defensive scheme, and one thing we saw last season was Miles Turner block numbers go through the roof, and that really elevated him in fantasy. And I've people who've listened to my show plenty of times have heard me talk about yeah the variability in block numbers, and you can go from a guy that averages three point seven blocks or whatever he averaged or something crazy like that. Let's say it was three point seven. I don't have it off the top of my head, and he goes down to three, which is still an excellent number, but it is still a gigantic reduction in his overall fantasy value by dropping that far down. Now, because they were running this weird defense, we saw Turner's block numbers really, really spike back up. Is there a chance with a more structured situation that he isn't having to come in there and clean up everybody's messes the way he did last year and those block numbers come back down to being still yeah, really, really good, but not at that astronomical level? Yeah, you know, over three per game is just ridiculous. And I don't think... I don't expect that you would see enough of this, you know, chasing guys 30 feet from the basket and going over screens on Ben Simmons stuff they did last year. That made no sense. You know, I don't think you'd see that kind of stuff to the point that Turner can get to 3.4 again. But yeah, he still led the league two seasons ago, I think, per game oh, at 2.7. Really so yeah. You're right. Still a big drop for sure, especially from a fantasy perspective. But no, I don't think that they'll run a defensive scheme that allows him to get over three or puts him in the position where he can even get 3.4 blocks per game again. That is something massive for everyone who's playing fantasy to remember as well, that he can still lead the league in blocks and still be significantly worse than he was last season in that category. So just, just be aware of that. And the last question, we've got four high usage guys in this starting lineup. You know, I say high usage. Brogdon's probably medium usage, but you've got Karis LeVert, who's pretty high usage. DeMontis Sabonis is pretty high usage. TJ Warren is at least a 20 plus sort of guy. Brogdon's in that area as well. So, how are we fitting this in? Like, you know, basically, Sabonis was running nearly everything, like in terms of distributing and scoring, and then Levert was doing his thing. But three of those guys are really strong passers as well. So, is there a concern that that may not fit exactly right with those so many guys who want the ball, need the ball in their hands in that starting lineup? Who is the guy that's most likely out of that foursome? I'm not going to include Turner in that group. Who's likely to take a step back? It's hard to say, you know, the evidence we've had. Like I mentioned Oladipo, Warren Brogdon playing together a little bit in that bubble setting with Warren two seasons ago, but they didn't have Sabonis at that time. And then earlier in that season, they didn't have Brogdon. He was hurt, so they just had 
a different trio of guys. And then this season, at the beginning of the year, they had all of them. But, you know, Old Depot's recovering, Warren's recovering, right? There's, there's always been a reason where someone falls in the hierarchy. This will be the first time at the beginning of the season we really figure out who, what's the alpha, what's the actual ranking of those guys. And, you know, I think that you could make a case for either Brogdon or Warren to be the guy who, who suffers the most. Uh, you know, Sabonis is going to have the ball all the time, right? His screening, his passing at his position always gives guys an advantage. He's excellent at it. He's one of the best shot-creating bigs for others in the league, maybe second behind Jokic, whatever. You can argue a bunch of guys there. And then Levert proved at the end of last year that he can probably be their second-best passer in that starting five and a good creator coming around Sabonis screens and just setting stuff up. So I think Warren, you know, who's good self-creator for sure, but not as good at creating for others, could lose touches as a result of, you know, mostly being for himself. And then Brogdon's interesting because I think he's a good point guard. He averages, you know, he's pretty good at setting up his teammates, I think. But we've also seen in Milwaukee and even at times with the Pacers that he's still very good off ball, right? So I think that if Carlisle determines that, you know, he could be well suited to go back to that role. Maybe not back, but, you know, have a reduced stroll and playoff ball a little bit more, which is part of the appeal of putting him next to Karis Levert anyway, then perhaps he could be one of the guys who loses touches. So I think that Brogdon's probably the most likely to me to lose some touches. You know, that there was reporting last year about around the trade deadline that they would view Karras as a point guard. I don't know that they do or do not in that with Carlisle in the fold. But I think uh, Brogdon would be the most likely and Warren would be the second most likely to, to lose some touches in that hierarchy. Yeah, I seem, to, I, no, I seem to. I do agree with that. And I think that with Carlisle's success at running a bigger point guard, Luka Doncic, Karis LeVert, of course, he's not Luka Doncic, but having that larger size who traditionally would be considered a wing uh, as a point guard with ball handling ability, then you could see that sort of transitioning across and Brogdon being more of an off-ball spot-up type guy where he was like a 40-plus percent three-point shooter in those seasons in Milwaukee, but you know, on like 17 or 18 percent usage instead of the 20-plus that he's been in Indiana. Tony, I've kept you long enough. That'll do it for us today. And if you want to hear more about the Paces. Of course, Tony will have it covered for you all over on the Locked On Paces podcast. Tony, thank you for coming on with me. Josh, of course. Thanks for having me. That will do it for today's show. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app on YouTube. We're here. Give it a thumbs up. Hey, again, let me know. What did you think of the, the change graphics packages? You'll see more of it as we go forward. Um, leave your comments, thumbs up, notification bell, all of that great stuff. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.